On Sky Sports Radio, time to review the weekend's racing with our stable of experts. He's pretty exciting, this guy. Streeting his rivals. Who impressed? Who didn't? Horses to follow. And have a look at the time. And your calls. Welcome to Punter's Postmortem. Really starting to go through his gears. Just continues to raise the bar. Yeah, good morning and welcome to Punters Postmortem on this Monday. Of course, it's the 20th of June. Gee, isn't the year starting to fly? We're already at the back end of June. Hopefully you had a great weekend on the punt, whatever you're up to. Uh, we had uh, a lot to talk about in today's show. We've got Glenn Munsey and Chris Roots joining us. Simon Thanopoulos from Racing and Sports will also join us this morning. And we will have a chat with Michael Maxworthy, too, from Queensland on the back of that Ipswich Cup day and a few big topics to come out of that particular race meeting. We do have two meetings, though, in New South Wales today, one at Newcastle and one at Albury. And Tanya Thomas has the latest in scratchings. G'day, Tanya. Morning, Dave. Morning, everyone. Yes, racing in Newcastle and Albury. We'll start with Newcastle, where the weather is overcast. The track is a heavy 10. The rail is out 11 metres the entire course, and there are 42 scratchings. The First race at 12.45, take out number three, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Seven, Mandalong Cash and the emergency 11.37.11. Race two, number two, Opal Glory. Six, too much information. Eight, Flying Squad. Emergencies 11 and 12. Two, six, eight, 11 and 12. Out of race three, number one, Alpha Go. Two, to my Three, Buffet Buster. Seven, Mr. Larrabee. Eight, Sabino and the Emergency 12. One, two, three, seven, eight, and 12. Race four, number nine, Mirror Queen. Emergencies 12 through to 14. Nine, 12, 13, and 14. From race five, number one, Denavi. Two, Exo Angel. Six, Pinball. Eight, Misere. Nine, Diani and the Emergencies 11 through to 14. One, two, six, eight, nine, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. From race six, number two, imprinted, three, quick nick, five, Charlie Chap, seven, keen on gold, emergency eleven, two, three, five, seven, and eleven. And from race seven, number one, Laos Fortune, four, Riley Park, five, Rovers Pepper, six, Shimbashi, seven, Charles Fort, Eight enviable, nine pagoto, ten wicked games, emergencies eleven and twelve. One, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven and twelve from race seven at Newcastle. Down to Albury, the weather is fine. The track a heavy nine. The rail out five metres the entire course and there are 27 scratchings. The first race at 105 is clear. Go to race two, take out one, Arcadia Power. Nine, Gobbo's Mate. Four, Pirate. Five, Rutabaker. Seven, Beans and nine, you know, Sass. One, three, four, five, seven and nine. Race three, number three, Word on the Street. Five, Impression Sunrise. Nine, Cash is Queen. Ten, Gray's Reward. Emergency 15. Three, five, nine, ten, and 15. From race four, number two, Hubert Rue. And seven, Not Standing, Never Standing Still. Two and seven. Race five, number two, Invincible Dash. Three, Kip Tanui. Six, Dip Me Lid. Eight, Some Deal. Two, three, six, and eight. From race six, number four, Lima Spice. Six, Fighting Pleasure. Seven, LA Brew. And 12, Zoffarella. Four, six, seven, and 12. And race seven, take out three, Pay the Dealer. Four, Honeysuckle Choice. Seven, Nats Enough. 11, Winsome Made. 12, Next Generation. And the Emergency, 14. Three, four, seven, 11, 12, and 14, Dave, from race seven at Albury. Thank you very much for that, Tanya. So Tanya Thomas here with the latest scratchings for our meetings today in New South Wales, Albury and Newcastle. And if anything else comes to hand for those meetings, we will let you know throughout the day here on Sky Sports Radio. Glenn Munsey is joining us on this morning's panel. G'day, Glenn. Morning, Dave. Morning, listeners. And uh, morning to the boys that are coming on shortly. Uh, I'll tell you what, Dave, we've had a very, very busy week in racing. We certainly have, mate. Um, plenty to dive into and, and chat about. How was your weekend on the punt? How did you find having a bit at Rose Hill on a good four surface? 
Um, tried to work it out. Dave had the the idea that you would be up and in, but um, didn't have the right up and inners, uh, put it that way. But uh, I managed to get a little something back yesterday when the Drake steamed down the outside of Port Macquarie. Yeah, good to see some good racing too at Port Macquarie. They had a big crowd there yesterday on track, which was great to see. Uh, Chris Roots is joining us as well from the Sydney Morning Herald this morning. G'day, Chris. Morning, Dave. How are you? Very good, mate. Uh, we'll touch on... Royal Ascot uh, later in the program, but uh, just on Sydney on Saturday, uh, William Pike, geez, he's, uh, he's riding in good fashion, isn't he? he got Skyman out of that pocket. Yeah, he, he, he um, probably made the wrong decision to start with, but quickly changed his mind and got out and was always going to win once he got a clear running Skyman. And I thought um, the win of Wicklow was, was a stamp of a really good winter horse and maybe a, a bit better on a day where... You couldn't be back and wide, and he come from back and wide and blew them away. He certainly did. We're going to chat with Simon Thanopoulos from Racing and Sports and look at this uh, Rose Hill meeting and also touch on Royal Ascot uh, from his perspective of the ratings down there at RNS. So we'll chat with Simon soon. Uh, Glenn, what was your win of Saturday? Do you want to touch on Wicklow there? Uh, well, Dave, uh, he was a horse that uh, we saw his first campaign in Australia, last campaign, and it was very, very good. And uh, just, you know, the jury was probably half in, half out on him on Saturday after his first up run there. He'd had 12 months off. Um, he, he'd looked well his first run back from a break and didn't really sort of capture the imagination, but just the natural improvement that he took on. Uh, exactly, you know, 12 months of the day since he, he won his last race there in Australia. But um, we convinced ourselves it was that hard to win from back in the field. But I, I think it was more to do on Saturday with, well, you know, I keep calling them the circle races at Rose Hill. Uh, and you can throw in the 1,300-metre races there with the rail out six metres, um, you know, the 1,100s, the 1,200s and the 1,300s. Because you're on a bend for so long, it just seems to be a bigger advantage when you can be up on speed and, you know, travelling. You know, the, the Wicklow came from well back in his race, uh, albeit, you know, the distance race, it uh, uh, it wasn't won by, you know, Skyman had a pretty cosy run in the race, but he was the favourite anyway. Uh, so it wasn't a complete shock uh, that he did get home in that race there. And even in, you know, the 2,000 metre race, Born a King, uh, albeit, you know, he was back on the inside. It, it, it wasn't probably as accentuated in that race. And, and even in uh, the fourth race there, which was won by Naval Seal, it just, you know, we, we didn't get any sort of 100 to 1 chances or whatever that flattered where they finished because they were on the fence. 4.86 was our penetrometer, Glenn. Like, how much... When was the last time we were dealing with a 4.86 um, when we were reviewing this Rosehill meeting? We'll put it this way, Dave. The only good track we've had at Rose Hill before Saturday on race morning was the 29th of January when the penetrometer was 5.06. So it was considerably firmer than that day in January. Um, so that's not a bad effort for a track in the middle of winter. Mm, no, certainly not. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see what it's like when we do eventually get back to uh, to Randwick as as well. Boys, let's touch on um, Brody Lloyd. Uh, we're going to chat with Michael Maxworthy a little bit later on, but we see Brody now position himself there with Annabelle Neesham up in Queensland. Um, and I might come to you here, Chris. He's the first person to put his hand up, Brody, to say that um, in earlier uh, years of his life, he was in and out of trouble. Um, he was like a magnet to it. But he has definitely, in my opinion, he's grown up and, and it's, it's coming through in his riding and his attitude towards life. Yeah, he was um, one of those blokes who's had a few chances, hasn't he? He's, um, he, he? He could have been in this spot a lot earlier in his career because he's certainly got the talent. So um, going to Queensland, he has to stand on his own two feet, feet up there. And, you know, there there are a few temptations up there when you're living on the Gold Coast, but... The way he's he's riding and the maturity he's got and the trust Annabelle's got him is is amazing. Like so, um, good luck to him if he can if he can make a go of it up there. There's there's certainly opportunities up there because um, they're a very even bunch of riders and I think Brady at his best would be right up with the best up there. Yeah, what did you make of the win of Holyfield? Uh, it, hindsight's a wonderful thing when you're uh, on the pun, isn't it, Glenn? Well, well it is, Dave, and uh, the fact that. 
um, you know, he'd had the, the two runs in Queensland. He'd run in the Archer there where he travelled sort of just behind the speed in the Emerald Kingdom race. He was only beaten under a length there and then went round in the, the BRC sprint. Um, and he was beaten under a length there. So you say to yourself, well, um, you know, he's entitled to be where he is in the market. Maybe the fact that he had barrier 16 put you off. But um, I'm, I'm loving to get Maxie's opinion uh, of the track because it was a strange situation on Saturday. The jockeys were saying, like Jimmy Byrne um, uh, said earlier in the day, he felt it was a seven in the day. But uh, the chairman of Stewart, mm. Peter Chadwick, said, well, uh, we, we think the jockeys are wrong and the times were backing up that the track was a little bit firmer and racing better than what the jockeys were saying. Well, I think if you cast your mind back a few years now when Eagle Farm, one of the eight times it's been redeveloped, um, the first day there, they were taking massive clods off the track. You know, they were just ripping straight into the surface of the track, but underneath it was very, very firm. So the illusion was they were getting into the track but the actual, you know, the underneath the, the top layer was still very, very firm. And, you know, these jockeys are riding every single day on different tracks. So their opinions have to be warranted. And then you go to the other end of the spectrum and the times were saying different. And Peter Chadwick stood on his digs and he said, well, you might think it's this, but here's, you know, historical data, for example. And I know a lot of people, uh, all the time pervs, uh, they would they they would back up Peter Chadwick's comments and saying, well, the historical data here is saying this track is what we say it is, not what you say it is. Yeah. Uh, so, so Chris, let's talk about this. We're, I was going to save it for Maxie, but we can get Maxie's comment for um, after nine thirty when he will be joining us on Punters Postmortem. But what's what's the wash up to come out of this? Because um, obviously we're talking about this now, but at the time, if you're in your local venue. You're not privy to all this information, all this info that's that's going on. In fact, the venue that I was at on the weekend, there was even no sound really. You couldn't even hear uh, what was being said on Sky One, etc. So you're visually just watching, and you've got blokes lining up at EBTs, having their hard earned on, thinking it's this and that. I mean, what? Give us some context about what's developed out of this, Chris. So with with what happens now is that times time ratings have become really the, the 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 basis for a lot of a lot of activity by by people and the time people are very uh, vocal in what they what they think and they say well this time was wrong or that time was wrong the thing is with with times only one horse has to run that time it's not and it, it's there could be one or two horses running that time, but then there could be three or four back in the field that aren't handling the track because there's a shiftiness to the surface, which the jockeys are coming at. So you've got to look at all all factors. And with Peter Chadwick just saying, oh, because they're running this time, we should, um, we're should we not going to drop the rating. Well, I think the blokes who, who ride on those tracks all the time actually actually know. And quite often when you talk to jockeys, jockeys about... Um, about tracks when they're thinking, oh, what's it like? They they'll say, oh, it's a six or a seven, seven, but it doesn't come through as that. But it's about confidence for these horses. So you might have had a horse there that that doesn't handle a shifty track, and its um chances went out the out the window. I think a horse like Vertebeck, which is um which is just needs a firm a firm deck, it raced to the lead, and you thought, well. It was you thought this is home, and then they swooped down the outside and beat it. Like on a firm track, you wouldn't see Birdebeck get to the front at the top of the straight of the next which carpet get run down. I would have thought. No, and, yeah, well, and, well, there's yeah. enough for for uh, Richard and Will Freeman to scratch one diva yeah. in the last race because they weren't confident enough that she would handle the shiftiness in the track, and, and her record tells you that she'd had seven goes on soft and heavy tracks and run one placing, whereas she'd had twelve starts on good tracks and won four races and run three seconds. Now, they only downgraded the track for the last race, which is even more incredible. Why do you wait all day and then downgrade the track for the last race? And, and why do you fight all day against downgrading and then not stand on your digs for the last race? Like, I don't know if there was any rain there. I wasn't watching the Twitch that closely. Um, there might have been some forex on the track from the punters who who would have been having a good time 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 after the, okay. after the cup. But uh, Great um, Northern now, Chris. Great Northern, uh, the sponsor of uh, Ipswich, not here forex. Uh, that'd be geez. Great Northern Super Chris. That's, that's a Carlton product. Carlton are on board there. Okay. Um, so basically, look, and, the, and again, um, so jo- so the crux of the story: jockeys were saying it was a seven, but it was rated a five. Um, the 
I, I saw some tweets from Lee Friedman as well floating around on Saturday. He was he was fired up saying, you know, the GC, the Gold Coast, was rated a five, but at least a six. Warwick was off. So was there a large amount of rainfall around southeast Queensland the night before? How did, how did the, this situation arise? Don't tell me it was the old irrigation. I think that's um, a question for Maxie, but looking at um, the Gold Coast, it looked like a plough paddock, so um, Ravesh Vandani's going to have some fun there, like trying to get that track. Track. It's one of the. It's a, it's a workhorse, though. I just yeah. think with with tracks, and this is it becomes it becomes it's become something very easy to to blame losing on that. Oh, the track, oh, the track, the track rating was wrong and things like that. But we can't give putters who who are the clients of the sport and fund the sport any any reason not to not to be coming back next Saturday. We need to get this right, and I don't know where where it goes. But that that issue on Saturday at, at Ipswich will will um, will give blokes will leave a nasty taste in some people's mouths because they'll say, "Oh, I wouldn't have backed that horse if if I knew the track was like that." Especially when like you can't get that information played out. I think Ben Dorries did a really good job from RaceNet getting the issue out on Twitter, and he's actually a good follow if anyone wants to follow during race day because he loves loves a tweet. Just don't follow his tips. Um, he's um, he, It's just one of those things. I think we've got to be better at, at informing the punter because punters have been never better informed. They, they, um, Glenn will tell you he used to get tapes of trials and things like that back in the dark ages to have an edge. There's no edge in watching videos or anything because everyone's got those at the moment. The edge might be that you know what's going on at the track and how the track's playing. Mm, I've got something we can take to a meeting, Glenn. I don't know if it's possible. Oh, some butcher's paper and some crayons? I, I've, I've got an idea. I've got mm-hmm. an idea because um, it's all uh, 100% good call out there with following Ben uh, on Twitter, but not everyone... I'm coming from the pub perspective. Just the, the, the venue that you're at, that this, you can't hear the sky on. There's, you know, 100... Blokes and ladies in there, um, but a lot of them are using their apps, and not all of them are betting via the tab app. They're betting via multiple betting apps, but they've got them all. They've got them all open. Um, it'd be great if uh, the old notification was sent through from the tab. Now I don't know how Glenn, you know, we can need, as you said, butcher's paper and pen, but there's got to be ways in which we can get messages to people quicker because uh, it's not coming up on Sky Racing 1 and that's not potting Sky Racing 1 or, or Sky Thorough Potential. It's just that information hasn't been received to but, there but, or it's being what, what verbally messages, spoken about. What messages do you want them to get, Dave, via a notification? If there's a, a change in track conditions. And if there's Dave, a change how in much, track how conditions. Much, how, how much, you know, we're talking about Ipswich. The two main meetings of the weekend with Sydney and Melbourne, they always are. Uh, it do, I, point, no, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Get, what, it, no, no, no. no. Oh, want, I disagree. You I disagree. Want to want to if I'm lined up, want... no, no. If I'm lined up at Kingsford Smith and my gate changes, Qantas send me a message straight away. Or if something's changing with my Uber, something changes straight away. If I order a bit of bread and milk from another app, it's it can't be that hard to send a message. And if that means that uh, you're talking about customer experience, this is just my personal opinion. Could about customer experience? Say with uh, you know the bloke that goes and puts his hundred on Birdebeck, um, and then leaves a sour taste. Well, I'd want that bloke to come back and spend another hundred next week, and maybe another. I, I just feel as though in the age of technology, and that information is not controlled by the tab. That needs to come from elsewhere. But if we get that information, I'd love it to be sent through on a notification. If you're if you're that. following if you're following uh, if you if you've got your Twitter open and things like that, and the partners have got Twitter and things like that. Every set of stewards have their own Twitter, so they 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 send out messages when tracks upgrade and things like that, and, and give you the most up to date information that the stewards are telling you. But in this case, the stewards were going against what the jockeys were saying. So to get that yeah, information, no, no, that. you needed an independent source, and that yeah, would no. in, that, in that case there was a journalist on course who was who was letting people know. Totally agree with that, but I think in just in general, I'd love to see that information be pushed out. Uh, to to more punters, as I said, it's not the the it's not the tab collecting or, or creating that information. They're they're getting it from from stewards and from from racing parties. Uh, but I think that would be a game changer. So let's get the the uh, the butcher's paper out, Glenn. How, do you, how long do you reckon that'd take to? Uh, well, up? you'd have to have a meeting first, Dave, to see when you could have a meeting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then you'd have to get the propeller heads involved, um, and you know the butcher's paper and the easel and the crayons. Anything's possible, uh, and, and some post-it notes. Um, you know, to get to 
identify some action items uh, and then and then have a meeting after that to work out who was going to attack with areas of the post-it notes and the <laughs> actions that possible. were required and then have another meeting after that. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to get Simon Thanopoulos up from Racing and Sports. Uh, we're going to chat about uh, the week that was at Royal Ascot from an Australian perspective. Plus, we'll touch on Sydney. And I want to hear from you guys as well. 13.53.53. If you're a punter out there and you've got a question for Chris Root, Simon Thanopoulos or Glenn Munsey, call now and we'll get you up on the program. You're listening to Sky Sports Radio and Punters Postmortem. You most certainly are. You're with Chris Roots, Glenn Munsey and Simon Thanopoulos now. G'day, Simon. Yeah, morning, Dave. How are you? Very good, mate. Good to talk to you. Uh, how was your weekend on the punt at Rose Hill, mate? Did you find anything for us? Yeah, I had a good weekend at Rose Hill. So for me, I thought the track played fair. It's funny when you're back winners, you always do. But I thought... Um, interestingly enough, found a lot of winners off Melbourne form in Sydney, which is unusual, but they looked to stand out and they got the perfect run, which was, I think, the main thing on the weekend. I've only really got one, maybe two races solely run there. So I think tempo was a lot to do uh, with horses not being able to deceive to make up ground. But again, that sort of showed how impressive Wicklow's win, which is what Chris and Glenn touched on earlier. Yeah, just just on um, that Melbourne form coming through that uh, you, you followed. Why do you think that is? Is that because of the the dry decks that they were working with those horses down there? I think the hardest thing looking at Sydney going into the meeting was a lot of the favourites had built their form on wet tracks, and then as Glenn touched on earlier, this is the first good track we've been on since February. So always got to be cautious uh, with that form. And then you had those Melbourne horses off good runs and good building runs. I mean, you found Chris Waller and either Hugh Bowman or William Pike. So you're, by, you're backing the right connections. They had the right form and they got the right run. So always easy in hindsight. Uh, but those horses were well set up on the weekend. Warner King was um, coming back in grade. So there was a couple of horses coming back in grade from Melbourne runs as well. And mm. with that track, you just needed to be to the inside. side. It was fairly hot clear early on and it's probably why Wicklow was left out by many that you have to be inside around the around the around the terms like Glenn said and that's the six metre rail at Rose Hill which is used occasionally. It's not the it's not the go to position but I you know, a fresh track and it just it just needed to be be in that spot. Well, Even, once you're in the straight you could go where you wanted really, but it was yeah. just being in the right position and close enough. I'm interested in that. So, Simon, you believe that, um, you know, because obviously there was a, a feeling um, amongst punters that uh, you had to be like where Glenn and, and Chris have said, but do you think that not that's not so much track bias, that was just the pattern of the races, the tempo of the races? Yeah, certainly. If you look at the, you know, Naval Fields, Renome 33.82 from, you know, almost leaders back, you're always going to struggle to beat a horse when they do that sort of thing. Born of Kings ran home in good splits, so... Skyman, another one. So I think generally they've obviously taken the shortest way home, which is one plus. And another thing, they're running time. So when that happens on the good track, um, always going to be hard for horses to make ground. And, you know, Wicklow's broke 34 uh, to win that race on the weekend. So I think, you know, he's obviously a class above that. Um, disappointingly, you just had to stick solid off his first up run, uh, but a good win. And you'd have to think more certainly in store for him. Glenn? Yeah, um, you, you said you had a good day, uh, Sime. Um Did you go into this meeting, though, looking at horses that were going to be up and in? Uh, not particularly. I thought the big ones for me, I thought Naval Field could be closer. I generally look at where horses were settled their start prior and whether or not they can be ridden differently. Skyman had been a horse that was airborne. He'd just been drawn terrible barriers all the way through this prep. And he finally drew inside, and Pike was on down in the weight. So you'd like to think they were going to be more forward, uh, similar with Warner King. So I think that's generally what I... They're the reason I found those horses. I thought they'd be getting back in their races, and they all drew a barrier to be more prominent. And if they were able to do that and run what they had been doing, um, I thought they'd be hard to beat. So it doesn't always work out that way, but it did on Saturday. And Chris Waller always uses a barrier, Glenn. That's the, if he's got a good barrier, he's, he's going he's gonna to use it. And that's the first two hundred meters of the of the of the Mikel Cup was the winning of the race, really, because um, Pike just gave him a little bit of a little bit of rain, let him find that position behind the leader, of the, leader on the leader's back instead of being a pair further back where the stable actually thought he'd be. So you know, from then on in, they, they were very confident they had the right race one. Yeah, and, and significant in both of those races you talked about there, Simon, Borna King and 
um, Skyman, did you look at those races and when you first looked at them and said, well, we've got two false favourites in these races in Arapaho and Surf Dancer? Well, I thought Surf Dancer, I think you can certainly suggest got all the favours uh, last start. Rachel King flushed it in front. And, yeah, they're always horses you want to take on at the next start because they're unlikely to get similar favours. And you touched on Arapaho. Really impressive on that heavy track, and then he regressed on the soft track and then getting to a good track. If you're confident he'd regress again, then, yeah, another false favourite. So uh, the market did swing back towards those horses close to the early, but if you did bet early in the week, you certainly got good prices about the winners. Well, we did say on Friday, Dave, in that Mikel Cup, that the market on Friday was 310 Surf Dancer and Skyman was 360, that Skyman would run favourite. Exactly right. No, we did uh, We did touch on it. Mate, uh, we got to a couple of callers here. Uh, so, Simon, hold on the line, mate, um, because you may be asked a few questions here. We've got Jack on the line uh, in regards to Brooklyn Hustle. G'day, Jack. G'day, boys. How you going? Very good, mate. Uh, what's happening, mate? Uh, what's on your mind? What's your question? No, just seeing what your thoughts are on Brooklyn Hustle in the test tiara and what her ideal barrier is and how you think she's going to go. All right. Uh, who wants to chime in? I might come to you here, Glenn, because she's a gunner. Um, she's always running home and, and has this red light flashing. Well, well, that's that 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 probably describes it to a T, Dave. Uh, a gunner, red light, uh, flashing light, and running home. Well, she's in the Tats Tiara uh, this Saturday, and she's an eleven dollar chance at the moment in the pre noms market because the actual official noms uh, for the Tats Tiara are not taken until this morning. And well, she's been in the best sort of races uh, possible in Brisbane, but she's done what she does all the time, and and gets back and runs on back to her own sex uh, in in this race. Albeit she's been in her own sex and a couple of times there, uh, she's one of those horses that get you in, and you say, well, if she runs to her best which is now probably 12 months ago or two years ago uh, at Eagle Farm, you'd say she's probably better a better chance than an $11 chance, and that's what will get you in. No surprise to see a figure in the finish of the Tats Tiara on Saturday. Okay. Um, and with that barrier draw, now is that tomorrow because it's a Group 1, Glenn? Will that be tomorrow or will they just come uh, out? I'll down... look it up for you, Dave, because, well, they haven't even taken yeah. noms as yet. No, I'll no. I'll go back to the, the Queensland. Um... Just wondering if they're doing anything special for that. Um, well, if, Maxie will we'll, we'll, Yeah, we'll find out from Maxie shortly. Yeah, thanks for your call, mate, um, because Maxie will know, and then that way you can be watching the barrier um, for Brooklyn Hustle. We've got Gary on the line. G'day, Gary. G'day, how are you going? Good, mate. What's on your mind? Um, I just heard the track manager for the Ipswich um, track on Saturday morning. He was saying under the Ipswich track there is mine shafts and they, uh, because of all the rain they've had over the last few months, the water table is very high and it's just taken a long time to drain away. So, yeah, I don't agree with the um, with the five either. I, it was def- I, I thought it was definitely a seven. You could see by the first race. But, uh, and I was on Gerdebeck, and I thought he was home, and bang, you know, I thought, Jesus, how did that happen? Because he was supposed to win wherever he went. Yeah, I thought uh, I was with you. There was a lot of people on Gerdebeck, um, Gary. Okay, so that information, uh, that, did that come through Saturday morning, did it? Was that on Racing HQ Saturday morning? Yeah, we uh, interviewed the track managers from all our, our, our tracks. Richard Haynes does them between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. Okay, fantastic. All right, no dramas. Thank you very much for your call there, uh, Gary. Simon, just on, uh, we were touching on the Ipswich track before, um, as we were touching on the Rose Hill track. What did, what's your assessment and what's your uh, racing and sports analysis of um, the way Ipswich played? Yeah, it's, uh, it's always tricky because, as Glenn would, you know, note me down, it's a bit of a time perf, but I would, if I was in terms of assessing the track myself, I would lean towards what the jockeys are saying. Um, they're the ones that ride it week in, week out. And if they're suggesting that it feels like a seven, then while the times may not reflect that, you've got to remember the times will be skewed fast. You don't get the level of forces that run at the Ipswich Cup meeting every week at Ipswich. So if you're looking at average times across the board, your times are going to look fast, uh, regardless of how the track plays, because you're just mm. going to have a higher calibre of horse there every week. So if I'm hearing jockeys telling me it's a seven, then I'm looking for horses to handle a soft track. 
Okay. Very interesting point there with the quality of horse. Uh, we'll go to line three now. Simon's on the line. And um, after this, guys, we'll touch on Royal Ascot um, and just some of the, the data from racing and sports to come out of the meeting. G'day, Simon. Yeah, how you going? Uh, just a question for Munns. That's um, great. Is there still such a thing as an early quaddy pay cash out? I beg your pardon? Is there an early quaddy cash out still or not? Uh, I, 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 I'd have to check. Um, there was a drama with um, cash outs on quaddies for quite a while and not being a paramutual um, person, uh, I couldn't tell you uh, whether they are back on or not. Um I, 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 you know, I've got to be honest here. I, I don't look to see whether they, um, they do offer them. So I, I couldn't really tell you whether it was back on. Um, the easiest way, I suppose, if you looked at the early quaddy, if there's an early quaddy today on Newcastle, um, is there an early quaddy on Newcastle today? Once again, not knowing uh, the early quaddies on races one, two, three, and four. Uh, whether or not we'd have to have to see whether the cash out was available. Yeah, uh, I'll chase it up for you. Beautiful. Thank you very much for that, Simon. Uh, let's go back to Simon Thanopoulos. Now you're on Punters Postmortem here. Glenn Munsey, Chris Root, Simon Thanopoulos. Uh, let's talk about, because it's fresh in our minds, the uh, the Platinum Jubilee, um, Simon. Um, obviously, the chat now that this Godolphin horse we may see down in Australia chasing the riches at the Golden Eagle. What did you make of the two Aussies that represented us? Uh, home Affairs, Notorious, and then I guess... Uh, Torius, what what can we? How can we assess the run? Because it was obviously uh, flashing through late. Yeah, I thought obviously Torius has ran really well there. Always when horses get back, you knew where he was going to be, and when they book a rider like Jamie Spencer, you knew what you were going to get served up. And just didn't have the luck, probably at a crucial stage late in the race. But he's flashed home, obviously, you know, beaten less than a length there. Home affairs just didn't run his race. He goes to the stud now off the back of. You know, two scuzzy performances, but he's obviously clearly better than what he displayed on the weekend. I think Notorious, if he can improve, you'd like to think his first run in 98 days, he'd have improvement. They would have obviously had him cranked for the Group 1, but you'd think there's still a little bit of improvement. He's ran a new peak there for us on the weekend. Time from rating, now he's broke the 120 barrier. And given that he's carried the same weight, there was no weight allowance for the three-year-olds in that race. So he's run a new peak there, and he looks to be set now to go towards the July Cup and you'd have to think if he's able to improve a little bit on that run, he's certainly going to be competitive again. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, what did you make of uh, the run of uh, Torius slash Home Affairs? Yeah, I think uh, it's pretty well summed up there. Uh, home Affairs is one of those horses that could get racing and that's what happened. Then he got running and in a big field um, being he was being chased a long way from home. So um, he just blew out and it's one of those ones where, you know, you look at it and go, well, that was always a possibility with him and probably um, they should have been closer in the market than they actually were. Artorius uh, was an interesting one. He was going to get back. I thought he might be a length closer, but if he was a length closer, he would have been right in the ruck of the ruck of the, um, of the the 27 horses. So by going back, he actually got to a point where Jamie Spencer could pick his runs, and he made his run, when he made his runs, he picked his way through them really well to the 150. And I, don't, I I'm pretty pretty much of the opinion he wins if he doesn't if the the, the filly doesn't come out underneath him at the 150 and just take his momentum enough to take take him off his line and take his momentum. Um, the two Godolphin horses were good. I don't think they could come over here and run in an Everest, so we we won't even think about think, think about them. I've spoken to Godolphin about their Everest slot. That hasn't even been discussed yet. So, um, there, and it is owned by Godolphin Australia, not Godolphin as a whole. So, you, you would think that, um, Australian horses are going to get, um, first choice on that, on that slot, unless there was something like a Pinatubo or something like that, or a Blue Point, which could run up to the, this, the, the, um, a rating that would get it into an Everest. Artorias, you get what you, you 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 knew what you'd get, and you you um and that's what happened. And just the stiffer track at um, Newmarket. I don't know whether 
you know, he'll be he'll be as well served there. He's very short in the market now. And Simon, I didn't realise that that we we don't get a, our three year olds don't get a um an allowance over there yet. Those three year olds come over here on a cox plate and get a kilo and a half. No, we we seem to be a lot kinder. I didn't realise until looking at the results this morning either. So yeah, they're definitely uh, there's a reason they have such a good record in our races. Yeah, um, I think I think that's got to be looked at. Let's go to uh, to Chris on line one. Just about nature strip. G'day, Chris. Yeah, Dave. How are you? Um, Very good. Just a couple of observations after the race. They were looking at nature strip and. Um, one of the one of the experts said, "Look at him go." He said he's in a different parish to the rest of them, and I thought a different parish. I thought, what is it, the vicar of Dibley? I mean, a different parish. But I just wanted to know where you put him now. Nature Strip. We've had say Manicardo, of course, Black Caviar. Is, is he re, is he the third best sprinter in the modern era right. now? I might go to Simon here because I want to get to some ratings chat. So where where does he land now officially, Simon? I'd say he's the best. We look at it post Black Caviar era because nothing was better prior to her and nothing's been better since. But she he would be number two now, I think, on the performance. I mean the the UK pundits have him running a new peak over there. I don't think that's true. He's just done what he's done down here over there. But they always seem to give him a bit of extra mustard when they do it. At Ascot, but he's he's a one thirty sprinter, which is elite, world class, and historically significant. And you know, good to see him go over there and to do that. And if he's able to come back, he's obviously the horse to beat in the Everest. But yeah, ser- serious, serious sprinter. So, I mean, where does that equate to the international ratings? I know your your numbers are a little bit different, and they that they're always a little bit higher than the international. So, at the moment, he's a one twenty four sprinter off his TJ win here, and I think you guys would have had him a bit higher than a 124 internationally off that win. So can you just put it into perspective? Because the international ratings are the ones that um, where you get a you get the trophy at the end of the year saying you're the best horse in the world. And uh, um, I think his performance was the best at Royal Ascot. And we know that these international ratings are all... There's, there's certain places that, that carry more... carry bigger, uh, a greater gravitas. And Ascot and... Hong Kong and places like that are, are certainly places that that you, if you run well there, you get a you get a little kick in the ratings. Yeah, I think so. Where generally where six is the rule of thumb, where six above the international ratings, but some of them we we obviously are way off the mark in terms of we don't agree. They always underrate the Japanese form, and Hong Kong is always overrated. Um, but with Nature Strip, we have him running one thirty one time form rating, uh, but time form UK have him. A bit higher than that, 133. Fayed will go down as the highest rated performance of the weekend. He ran 134 in the Queen Anne. And in terms of the time figure off, uh, he beat Nature Strip. So he was a little bit faster on the clock. So he probably would and say will be crowned uh, the world's best horse at this stage. But then you've got the US horse, Flightline, is also in the mix. But I think for longevity, uh, Nature Strip, for me, Fayed would be crowned most as the best in the world. But I would have Nature Strip number one at the moment. Me personally, being Australian, and so he should. I think be that's a, I think that's important because Bayed was. I, I I thought he was professional and he did what you expected him to do, but it wasn't that to the eye that wow performance that Nature Strip was. But I don't think Nature Strip was racing the quality quality, and that's where Golden Power, um, not getting out of the gates and things like that really hurt him. If Golden Power was there and running and running to his rating, and they could say he could run to his rating and he beat him three, well, they would have absolutely kicked, kicked Nature Strip to, you know, 128, 129. I think on the international ratings, he'll go to about 126, 127, talking to people who understand them a little bit better than I do. And that um, where they where the, they sits will actually come down to what it does later in the season. So, you know, it'll probably go to a Judmont, and it is clearly the best miler in the world, and, you know... We can be parochial. We think we've got the best horse in the world, and hopefully he gets that honour. Gentlemen, sure. we, uh, we'll let you go, Simon. Uh, you've got a busy morning there at Racing and Sports. Thanks for coming on, mate. Um, always love your analysis and input, and hopefully we'll chat to you throughout the week. Yeah, thanks, boys. All the best. Cheers.
There he is, Simon Anopoulos from Racing and Sports. Check out their website. A lot of good information on there uh, about all the, the racing, not only around Australia, but uh, around the world. We're going to take a quick break, gents. Michael Maxworth is going to join us from Queensland next. We're going to touch on this Ipswich Cup meeting and uh, a few of the performances throughout the day. This is Punter's Postmortem on Sky Sports Radio. Yeah, it's 9.47 on Sky Sports Radio. Wherever you are listening around New South Wales, good morning to you. And if you're listening via the Tab app across the country, hello and thanks for being a part of it. Glenn Munsey, Chris Roots, and now Michael Maxworthy joining us this morning. G'day, Maxie. Good morning, fellas. Uh, interested to hear the discussion this morning so far. Yeah, it's, it has been. You were there on Saturday. We we touched on uh, the track rating. Um, what is your assessment of how that A was handled and, and what you thought of the track there on Saturday at Ipswich? Well, I don't really have any more to, to add than what you have discussed this morning. I've been listening from the outset. The Ipswich Turf Club, um, over the week, the seven days leading up to their big day on Saturday, went out of their way to let everybody know, because we've had fine weather and no rain for at least uh, seven or eight days in the Ipswich area and fine weather, don't be thinking that the track is going to return to a good fall because because of the big wet, um, it is holding the moisture. And as one of your listeners um, certainly pointed out correctly, that they did say that the track is built on mine shafts, which is holding the water, and parts of the Ipswich track, uh, the ground underneath was formerly refuse, a tip. So they're basically saying at this time of the year, the water is being maintained. It's holding the water and not getting away as it would normally. And they've had some quite heavy dews out there at Ipswich. So, but they tried to tell us all of that. And then when they came up with the, the soft five, we're thinking, okay, um, there's been no rain for over a week, fine weather. Holding the moisture, a soft five will go with that. But clearly, as you guys have said, that that wasn't the rating. And Jimmy Burr, all the jockeys, we sit outside of the jockeys' room at Ipswich. Every one of them said that it wasn't a five. It was worse on average between a seven and an eight. And I think punters, although they didn't downgrade it, punters were on top of it. Now, you mentioned Berdebeck. He was out the gate, 440 to 650, and ran like it the last 200 metres. And also in the eyeliner, people were really warming up prior to the meeting, backing Vinko. We all felt that he was in career best form at the moment, but by the time every race that went by, he was continuing to, to get out of the gate. He ended up opening at 4.20, but quickly after $7 and probably ran like a 20-to-1 shot on that ground. So it was certainly significant. And then we come to the last race, the Gay Waterhouse, where prior to the meeting, Juan Diva was one of the best back runners. She was going to get the gun run right on the hammer of the leaders, you know, soft five is probably as bad as she wants it, but um, obviously, like, Will had made the trip. He, he got a hire car all the way out to Ipswich uh, to yeah. be presented with that. So, um, yeah, it was just disappointing. Apart from that, uh, there are, you know, in excess of 15,000 people that had a wonderful day. If you want to put a, a bright slant on the day. Very much so. Chris, Glenn, any uh, questions, comments on that topic to, to Maxie? No, Maxie, I, I just you, I, I know where you you posse up there at Ipswich, and um, Chris was and Dave were talking about before about the amount of information that we can give to people on the day. Well, um, I, I, I think um, you passed comment, and I think it was about race three. Uh, about Jim Burns' comments on Sky Thoroughbred Central. So we, we can only do as much as we can. And what, what's your opinions about, you know, how much information do you think uh, is available to the people that are off track regarding what's happening on track? Yeah, but that's exactly right. I mean, we were there. I knew, Bernie knew, everybody seemingly knew, except the stewards were reluctant to go down a notch. But, yes, it's getting that information out to the people that are, you know, on on their way backwards and forth to sporting fields with the kids on a Saturday afternoon that, that are not aware and that might have backed Dinko and and Berdebeck and a few others that weren't really going to handle that kind of ground. But apart from that, there were some terrific performances, guys. You mentioned Brody Loy, and I don't know a lot about um, Brody. I know his dad was a successful jockey in the Riverina, and Brody had been off the rails and back on the rails. I can tell you that since arriving here a month ago, he's on the rails. And he's heading in the right direction. I, I love his style. He's got a lot of strength about him, a little bit like 
Nashua Willer and, and Ryan Moore. He's got this ability to encourage his horses to stretch out in full flight and at the same time heal a horse along, you know, in rhythm with its stride. And that must be difficult to do. But he's got that down pat. And with that double there on Saturday, I think we're going to be, we see him featuring um, prominently on a Saturday afternoon in town. Yeah, I think he's had 33 rides or approximately 33 rides now since um, his first ride. His first day in Queensland actually was at Rocky and that was the yeah. day after he'd ridden at Wagga. So uh, and he's ridden five winners uh, of, of those, uh, I think, 33. So his strike rate's all right. And I think if we cast our mind back, Chris, I think he was actually apprenticed to the Godolphin organisation when John O'Shea was the trainer. Yeah, he certainly was and... Um... There was a, it, that didn't end well for end well for both parties. So you know that's that's sort of the story of Brode has been a story throughout Brody's career. But good to see he's up there. He's been really, I think, I think working for Annabelle has been really good for him because um, probably the age gap isn't as big, and she she's brought the best out of him. And being a father as well, I think now's brought the best best out of him. Mm. Uh, um, Maxie, what about some of the horses that got beat there yeah. on Saturday? You want to go backwards. How good is Majestic Shot going? Yeah, Majestic Shot um, finishing third there in the last race on the card. It was a terrific performance and uh, good to see her bounce back on, on what we've seen in the past. I sort of put her in the numbers. She finished third there behind Centerfire and maybe the best. One of the, the standout performers, uh, you mentioned Annabelle and Brody. they had the winner of the third race on the Carter Horse with a pedigree that says, uh, you know, he should only be able to run about 1,200 metres, but he won the that uh, provincial stayers final called Read My Future. This was the race that incentivised one 12 months ago. Now, this guy is not in the same parish, let's just say, as, um, and, as Read My Future, but he's a nice horse on the way up. He's only had the nine stars for five wins, and he... He is a stayer of the future. Um, it's, yeah, it's amazing. His, his sire, I think, um, won four races between eleven and twelve hundred metres. But he's got this guy that can seemingly run all day. What about Chris Bunce? Um, uh, great to see Chris back. And we would touch on jockeys. Brock Ryan getting the job done there on Smart Meteor. Yeah, he had, he had a couple of rides, Brock. And I noticed um, when, when Brock arrived, Chris was there waiting at the jockey's room. He wanted to show him the turnout of the straight. I could see him pointing to that area, and he was saying, you've got to get him in before you hit that first turn. Now, there's not a long run. You've drawn out, but somehow you've got to slot him in somewhere, and it worked out perfectly. Um, that was in the Ipswich Cup on Smart Meteor. Smart Meteor and our intriguer was heavily back. She was 460 into 350. They both made their run up the centre of the track uh, with Brock Ryan uh, managing to get Smart Meteor's head down just over our intrigue. And we saw Brock at the start of the carnival. He won the victory stakes on Count de Rupee at Group 2 level. And Chris Munz, Chris, Chris doesn't have um, the firepower or, or some of the big owners. He, he sort of trains for a lot of syndicates, so he doesn't have the two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 yearlings going into his stables, but he's constantly churning out nice horses. And on Saturday, he had a double again. Smart Meteor, who won the cup, and Centrefire picked up the Gay Waterhouse, picking up some, some stakes uh, performance there. And that followed on Boom Nova, who was a bit of a star during the carnival, and Palayapan, who won the Dane Ripper uh, last Saturday and is likely to head towards the Tattersall's Tiara this Saturday. So it's been a great carnival for Chris. He had a smile on his face as wide as the, the Sydney heads there last Saturday um, and, and was really proud of his team there at Eagle Farm. Uh, Maxie, did you get caught up in the the groundswell of um, the Queensland Rogues after the big goodbye one? I was cheering him over. (laughs) I really liked him there on Saturday. I thought he was the horse that, um, you know, you knew what you were going to get. We were sort of a little concerned about Goldsborough, who hadn't raced for a month. Orbison was uh, was second up after a, a failure first up and Skins. Um, was second up after almost a year. But you looked at the form and it clearly jumped out at me with the big goodbye. And yes, there were a lot of them there. Um, Rob Heathcote had a big smile on his face after the race. And, um, and, and the big goodbye is just flying at the moment. I saw him gallop, uh, when was it, Tuesday week ago um, with Star Tontes. And she, he towed her up. And then she came out to run well in the Stradbroke handicap. So yeah, it was a good result. Well done to the Rogues. They're having a, a lot of fun with this guy. 
Last but not least, mate, um, now the Group 1, of course, the Tats Tiara is on this weekend in Brisbane. We were asking before about a barrier draw. Are they doing anything special for it this week, or will it just be uh, popping out on Riser on Wednesday? No. Tuesday, well, Dave. Tuesday, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I checked it up. Uh, noms are today, and acceptances are tomorrow morning. Okay, yeah, so fantastic. I, I'm not sure whether they've actually got a function for it, but Glenn's right, so uh, tomorrow... Uh, at 9am, so shortly after that, we'll have the final field and hopefully they'll do the barrier draw straight away and we'll, we'll know it by uh, around about lunchtime. Mm. It just That's says in the uh, the handout here, Dave, Tattersall's Tiara barrier draw to be confirmed by club. Now, whether that is Tattersall's club, because it's Tattersall's meeting on Saturday, isn't it, Maxie? So th- yeah. they take over the whole day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, the BRC hosted for the... Uh, uh, the, the Tattersall's Club. So it's the Tattersall's Club rules. But, yeah, I think by lunchtime tomorrow we should know the barrier draw. It's going to be another fascinating race, the last opportunity for, um, you know, mayors this current season to get that Group 1. We saw Tefane win the Stradbroke last year and come out and win it. And that's what I want, guys, in the, the Tiara again this year, a strong finisher in the Stradbroke, first and second. Um, alligator butt, blood and private eye. They were Group 1 winners over a mile. You need to be strong at the end. So looking forward to, to that. By the way, out of the, um, the Kingsford Smith Cup, won by Apache Chase, uh, away game actually ran 10th in it. But bear in mind when you're doing the form on Saturday, that she was one of the better performers. She went back to last over racing from a wide gate and no clear running over the last 100 metres. I'd merely say that it was, um, you know, close to a peak performance by her, but I am concerned about a away game, you know, over a strong 1,400 metres. But if you get a chance to go back and look at her replay last start, you might be wanting to put her in your numbers at least. I like it. Maxie, have a great week. Uh, we might get your horses to follow from the meeting before we uh, wrap it up, and I'll come to Chris and Glenn afterwards. But anything we should be following out of that meeting that we can post on the socials this afternoon? Uh, well, I, I will um, jot a couple down. I'm sort of reviewing in the reviewing process at the moment. So, yeah, I'll have it to you within an hour and hopefully some horses that we can follow and profit on over the next few weeks. I like it. Thank you very much, Michael Maxworthy from the Sky Thoroughbred Central team there in Queensland. Chris, what are your horses to follow from the weekend? Have you got anything for us? Yeah, I, I sort of went back through the meeting and was looking for horses that that got back and and sort of ran well against the bias. I thought Hearn Court in the it was a twenty five to one shot in a in the highway there. It got home really well late and. You know, it'll probably go around double figures again in a in a highway, but get it, get it, get up back on a uh, track where you can make ground from back in the field. It, it's not the worst, the worst, worst the horse to be following in a highway, and I think there's another one coming up at around the same trip. My other two come out of the same race. I think you, you'd be foolish if you don't say we close off horse to follow. But gee, I think Irish Legend would have given it a, a, a real race if 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 it had um clear running. Kieran McElroy just sat in behind them and the gap come to the inside of Chris Williams and he went went and took it. But that, from that point on, the horse on his outside just laid in on top of him. They bounced off each other a couple of times. Stewards didn't think it was enough to change the placings of second and third, but I think he's a really nice horse, Irish legend, and I think he'll, he'll probably be winning his next time. All right, perfect. Glenn, what were your horses to follow, mate? Um, I thought in the, the midway, Dave, just business. He's had two runs back now, both in midways. Uh, wasn't really suited on the, the wet track his first run and was a much better run uh, second up on Saturday. Not that his first up run was anything wrong with it, but he's busting uh, to be very, very competitive in a midway or a similar race uh, there. And I'd be sticking with Welsh legend. Now she's come back to Sydney, but she's uh, a dry track horse only. And she just got too far back in that race. I didn't think she'd be back last on the fence. I actually thought she'd be where the winner was uh, in the run there. But I, I didn't think that um, youth spirit would sort of ease out of the race early. I thought it'd be a lot more competitive early and she'd be able to take up a position. But I, I think her runs uh, in Melbourne and she classifies with that uh, uh, form line Simon was talking about, you know, the Melbourne runs on the better tracks coming back to Sydney. And uh, she, she has got a pretty good record at, at Rose Hill uh, at, on firm tracks, so I think she's got a win in her uh, in the not too distant future as well. All, all good, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on Punters Postmortem. Enjoy your Monday, and we'll catch you uh, all next week.